Good morning, and welcome to A Vision for You's first anniversary special edition. Today is Sunday, July 21st, 2013. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator for this morning. Many people consider the program of recovery, the 12 steps, one of the greatest miracles of the 20th century. There's no telling how many lives have been touched by the 12 steps. It enables people of all different kinds, all different types, from different backgrounds, people who would normally not mix, to somehow come together and, in spite of all odds, experience change, transformation, like never seen anywhere else. What a miracle. The 12 steps, simple steps which anyone can apply. This morning, you will hear from 12 different voices, 12 voices, each describing in their own personal way how these individual steps have changed them. 12 voices weaving together 12 stories of transformation, creating a message of hope and possibility. We begin with step one. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. And I welcome Christy. Thank you, Leah. Good morning. I am Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, it is great to be here. Great to be here instead of planning where I'm going to go for breakfast, you know, where I'm going to go have brunch under the guise of getting together with friends. Um, and what I really want to do is get together with food. Uh, that's the way I certainly lived my life for many decades. Um, I'm going to, you know, lots of quotes, so many rich quotes in this literature. It's just beautiful the way the words are crafted. And, uh, you know, these words, you know, none of them jumped out at me, certainly in 1994 when I sat down in my first OA meeting. Um, it didn't, none of them made a whole lot of sense. You know, people said the third step prayer. I wanted to know where they got that from. And people said from this big book. And I, you know, there was no connection to me between the big book and the OA literature they had at the meeting I attended. Um, I just knew that that's where they said the third step prayer, you know, that's where they got that from. And so that's why I bought my big book. And um, I didn't crack that book open, you know, from 1994 until 2001, except to look at the third step prayer and then the seventh step prayer, and that was pretty much it. Um, it wasn't until I was introduced on September 9th of 2001 to the big book. And the idea that it might apply to an addict like me, um, it might apply to someone like me, um, if in fact I identified with the nature of addiction and uh, millions of other people had been able to do that regardless of their addiction, not just alcoholics, certainly alcoholics, but um, millions of people, millions of people. And if, you know, it worked for millions of people, maybe it might work for me. Uh, I love what it says in the first edition. Um, it says here in the foreword of the first edition, I mean, uh, we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered, recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind 
embody, to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. And I identify as, as recovered today. Does it mean I am no longer a compulsive overeater? Not at all. I am still a compulsive overeater. But does it mean that um, I have grown away from wanting, having a desire to eat? You know, that that is no longer my first response to every single thought I have. Um, it does mean that. That, in fact, has happened. That, in fact, has happened for me. And none of that happened before, um, as it says in step one, you know, I admitted I was powerless over food, that my life had become unmanageable. And, um, you know, I've heard people describe, you know, putting down the food as step zero, and I don't do that. You know, there are already 12 steps. I don't want to add a 13th, you know, or a, you know, O dot zero to the steps. Step one says we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. And that's, you know, that's enough for me. That's enough for me. Um, what it says here in the big book, um, in the doctor's opinion, you know, is that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal of his, as his mind. And then, you know, on page XXDI, and it also says at the bottom of the page, you know, and I love these two, two other passages I'm going to read. It is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached as he has a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. What that tells me is that, you know, those seven years that I spent in the rooms trying to figure out what my food plan was um, and applying the steps was not, you know, was not going to work. It just wasn't going to work completely ineffective, in fact. Um, and it even says further down in the doctor's opinion, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical, uh, physical craving for liquor um, before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. Um, you know, and I realized, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a tough nut to crack. Uh, I realized that what I needed to do is put the food down. And my biggest obstacle to putting the food down was my disease because I have a disease that tells me I don't have a disease. I have a disease that wants me dead but will settle for me being miserable. And I have a disease that will create whatever kind of distraction it can. You know, it's like an entity all on its own. And my disease will tell me um, that what I need to do, first of all, is figure out what my food plan is. You know, I have a disease that will let me spin around in that for years, and that's exactly what happened for me, from 19, for me, with me, to me, from 1994 until 2001. I tried to figure out whether I should be vegan or vegetarian, whether I was really a sugar addict, whether starches were really a problem for me, whether, you know, you know, complex carbohydrates really were something that caused a glycemic index. I mean, I spun around in that forever. And while I was spinning around in that, trying to figure it out on my own, I was eating, 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 eating. I weighed 340 pounds when I came into OA. I lost 140, um, eating moderate meals with nothing in between, uh, you know, plates of food that were piled high. And um, I gained 100 pounds back. You know, I gained 100 pounds back in the rooms. 
And um, I never said anything about it. Nobody else ever, ever said anything about it. I was, you know, the elephant in the living room, um, unfortunately, literally. And, uh, you know, I couldn't sit in the rooms anymore. I, I mean, I couldn't just sit there week after week and say, I'm having a little trouble with the food. So it wasn't until I got to that point where I cared to admit complete defeat. I, I said to myself, you know, food, I mean, and, and not everybody's story is that they, um, are, you know, weigh 340 pounds. It's not, you know, it's not what food does to you. It's what food does for you. Um, eventually, food turned on me. And, um, you know, I looked at recovery. Um, I looked at the desire to stop eating as way more than just wanting to lose weight. Yes, it was true that I weighed 300 pounds, but it was also true that I admitted I was crazy, absolutely insane. And that's what I didn't want to do anymore. I, I couldn't live like that anymore. I could not live like that anymore. It was, you know, my disease had me by the throat. It had consumed every cell in my body. It was making me crazy. I mean, I can't, you know, I could just tell you over and over again how crazy it was making me, but, you know, hopefully you're that crazy too, and if you haven't stopped, you have a desire to stop, and we'll find the answer here. You will find the answer here. You know, what I knew is that by the application of the steps, my mind would be transformed, with everything, not just food, not just food, but with everything. And that really truly is the goal of recovery. The goal of recovery for me, you know, was not to be able to, you know, buy single-digit sizes somewhere or tuck in my shirts and wear a belt and, you know, have people tell me how great I looked. That was not the goal in recovery because, frankly, I've been on maintenance weight for 10 and a half years and nobody cares. Nobody remembers you know, what I look like, even my family, you know, we look at pictures and they say, wow, I forgot you looked like that. You know, well, I can say to myself, I don't. <laughs> I haven't forgotten that that's what I look like and I haven't forgotten that that's what I felt like. Um, you know, nothing, nothing was going to change in me until A, I, I had a desire to stop. You know, nothing was going to change. You know, A, I had a desire to stop, and B, I no longer thought that I possessed all the qualities that, that the spiritual awakening promises us. I thought my only problem was food. I did not realize, I did not realize until I put down the food that my problem went way beyond just the food, way beyond just the food. Um, my problem was my thinking, and if I did not address my thinking, I was going to keep thinking, and if I was going to keep thinking the way I've been thinking, I was going to keep getting what I'd always been getting. And so I had to have that transformation, that transformation of mind, heart, and soul, and that has happened for me. And nothing happened. Nothing happened. I didn't even give myself a fighting chance at all until I put the food down. And once I put the food down, I got busy working the steps, which you're going to hear illustrated today. And I'm just so grateful, so, so grateful that I admitted I was powerless over food, that my life 
have become unmanageable, at least with respect to food. I could maybe lie about every other aspect of my life, but I could at least say, you know what, my life is really unmanageable, um, at least when it comes to food. You know, that's where I started, and it wasn't until my brain had been cleared a little bit that I realized uh, the depth to which I needed to apply these steps. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Step two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Welcome to the line, Rick. Good morning. My name is Rick. I'm a compulsive overeater. Recovered today. Step two. Um, you know, step two is, is not a step that I did anything with. Um, I was not instructed to write. I was not instructed to um, identify my God or put a name or a face or anything like that on it. I, I did nothing with step two with my sponsor. But what step two says is we came to believe and it indicates that there was a process that was going on, a process that was going to go on within me and believing in the fact that some power greater than me could restore my sanity. And that's what happened. And a little bit about um, some things that happened as far as understanding with that power. I had put the food down for about six or eight months. I identified binge foods and, and put them down, and I was abstinent. When I started to uh, listen to meetings like this, going to big book meetings face-to-face, both AA and OA, and I heard people talking about a transformation, people being, talking about um, having a, a change in mindset. And I also heard people that were abstinent for years and years that had picked up these steps and as a result of the steps they found a profound personality change so it wasn't it wasn't about the food it was something different than that and it blew me away that people that had been abstinent for years in a way finally picked up the steps, as outlined in the big book, and saw a marked improvement. And I, I was, I was amazed because I thought that they had already gotten it. What, what's the use of going into those steps if you're already absent, you're at goal weight, and things are going good? Well, they wanted more. They wanted more. And that's what I saw. I wanted more out of this program than, than simply maintaining abstinence and simply being at the weight that I wanted to be at. My weight was in the in the normal category when I picked up these steps. So as I said, um, I didn't do anything on step two. It started to evolve. It started to happen. Um, and that process of coming to believe continued throughout my working of the steps. Um, at, at the point when I started studying the big book, 
I did not have a God that was personal to me. Uh, my God, uh, I don't even know if I had a God, to be honest with you. I, I, I'd say I was agnostic at best and atheist at worst. And I honestly don't know where I was at at that point. So there was no God in my life. But I heard other people talking, and I, I came to believe that there was something about this program that could help me, something about this program that I wanted, I wanted, something about this program that you people had that I saw attractive and I wanted. And that's what, that's what motivated me to go forward and work the steps. As I worked the steps, gradually that idea of God started to appear in my consciousness, um, an idea that at first was was very vague and was like, okay, there's something there. And, um, and as I worked through the steps, they later became full-blown into you know, a God that I can put a name on, I can uh, talk about and I can I can be proud of. And not that anybody's God is something you can't be proud of, but when you're trying to make something up and you're trying to put a wishy-washy outline on a higher power, that there was something about that that was very uncomfortable to me. So I, again, uh, step two, not a step that I did, a step that developed uh, by, as a result of working the steps, I was able to get in touch with God. And as a result of working the steps, I was able to continue, and to this day, continue to develop that relationship with God. Um, not something I planned, not something I set out to do, something that happened as a result. So I'll pass with that. Thank you. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Welcome, Eddie. Good morning. This is Eddie, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Virginia. And I would just like to start um, with the third step prayer I was uh, referred to earlier this morning. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. Good morning again. Uh, my name is Eddie. I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater and so very grateful to be here this morning. <clears throat> like many of you on this line, um, this morning, uh, my journey in compulsive overeating began as a young girl and steadily progressed through my teens, young adulthood, marriage, motherhood, into middle age. Um, I've tried many different approaches and methods to control and maintain my weight, um, some conventional, some not so much, some safe, some risky, and some just plain stupid. Uh, but never once did I think that anyone else uh, was in control but me. Uh, chairman of the board, creator of chaos, insanity, and mayhem, that was me. In fact, um, the first time I found OA, uh, which, of course, I viewed as another diet club, um, I left when people started to talk about God. 
So how did I get from that to where I am today? Um, in preparing this morning for this morning, I was trying to recall, um, you know, just like a specific event or whatever that led me to step three. And like many, um, in a way, um, mine was a spiritual awakening uh, rather than an experience. And as I thought about it, there were a number of what seemed to me at the time to be random incidents which occurred in my life, um, all of which kind of strung together that made me um, that led me to this decision. But now, of course, I can see that they weren't random events at all. Um, they were God, and it was God, and he was putting in my life and putting me in contact with people whose lives were formed by and filled with him. Um, I'm just reminded of this old joke, and I'm sure many of you have heard this joke. It's been around forever, about the man um, who's in the floodplain and goes out to his front porch uh, when the flood starts to come, and the truck pulls up, and the and the, uh, the the driver says, "Get in, the flood's coming." And he said, "No, God's going to take care of me." And a little while later, he moves up to the second floor, and the boat comes along, and the pilot of the boat says, come on, the flood's coming, we'll take you to safety. And he said, no, no, God's going to take care of me. Gets up to the roof uh, with the flood waters rising, and the helicopter comes over, and, and the pilot says, come now, the, the flood is here. And he said, no, God's going to take care of me. So, of course, he drowns. Big, you know, big surprise. He goes to heaven, and he says, God, what happened? And, and God looks at him and says, I gave you the, the truck, I gave you the boat, I gave you the helicopter, what else did you want? And so there I was, in that position. Um, I found myself going back to church uh, when I had not been to church in, in months to, to extend to attend an event. And was introduced to someone who um, asked me to help her with a particular skill that I happened to have. And uh, turned out that this lady was uh, in another 12-step program um, and also in Al-Anon. And uh, you know, she started to talk to me about her, her progress and her journey in in uh, a 12-step program. And then, um, you know, I met um, a couple other people within the church, all of whom were spirit-filled. Um, and I was looking at the time, of course, I had, again, gone back to another diet club, uh, one I was very familiar with. And um, I was looking around for, somebody said to me, well, you know, maybe you need a therapist. So I was hunting around for a therapist and uh, got in touch, got put in touch with a woman who dealt only in eating disorders, and lo and behold, this woman was in OA, had been in OA for years, not only used it in her practice, but practiced it in her life. And so little by little, um, I came back to this program um, that I had you know, discarded earlier and began to see that there indeed was something here for me. But there was... Now that I, when I was looking, when I was thinking about this yesterday, there was a culminating event that happened um, shortly after I got into program the second time. I don't know, maybe two or three weeks later. It was like this rainy Sunday afternoon, and all of a sudden, the cabinets in my kitchen were calling to me, and the four horsemen were knocking on my front door, and I, I started to pace because I was white-knuckling it through this compulsion to go into the kitchen and throw open my freezer or my cabinets and find my favorite binge foods. And somewhere there was a voice that said to me, pick up the phone. And so I did. I called a woman that I actually knew from church for quite some time but had not um, realized that she was in program. And this woman, God bless her, every year on my um, abstinence anniversary, I call her. 
um, told me to go get my big book, which I had bought a copy of. Hadn't done much with it, but I had a copy. And to open to a page, and we started to read. And we read for and talked and prayed for at least an hour, maybe more. And I got through that. And I got through that with um, grace and peace and serenity that I had never known before. And when I got off the phone, I said, okay, God, come on in. Let's get started. And so that was the day that, you know, I turned my will and my life over to the care of God. And that was uh, 2005. September of 2005, and um, thank God I haven't I haven't lost my way since. So today I have a God in my life um, that is personal. Um, every morning I invite Him in, and I know that nothing happens today that's by accident or that's too great to be handled, as long as I maintain my spiritual connection to Him. For me, that means prayer, meetings turning over my will on a daily basis. Some days I do it better than others. Um, Living the steps and practicing my faith. All of this enables me to live in recovery and enjoy the peace and serenity that is mine in this program. And so I am grateful um, every day that I have found this program, and in particular I have found a vision for you, And uh, although there are some things that are going on now in my life that don't allow me to get on every morning like I used to, um, I try to to get there at least in the evening to listen and get uh, to live meetings as much as possible because that's where my connection starts. It starts with my prayer in the morning and and continues uh, with people who um, have this, not only this physical and spiritual malady, but have the solution. And, and are uh, gracious enough to share that with me every morning. And that's where it's one of the places, you know, I find God in my life. And with that, I'll pass, and I thank you for this opportunity to share. Thank you. Step four, need a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Welcome, Janice P. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Leah. My name is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater here in Minneapolis, here in Minneapolis. You know, step four, step four, you know, the searching and fearless moral inventory. You know, that thought used to make me quake in my shoes, that thought of looking closely at myself. You know, here we are, here we are at step four, and and step four was a turning point for me. You know, step four was a turning point for me. I so appreciate Christy and Rick and Eddie for talking about those first three steps and, and what got them there because I follow closely to what they were saying. I follow closely. And I had been sitting in the rooms of contemporary OA and, and I had been searching for something and I knew it was there. I just knew it was there. You know, OA was the last house on the block for me. I didn't have anywhere else to go, and I knew it was there. I just knew it was there. 
And I'm so grateful today that I can keep my nose in the big book and know exactly where the solution is. You know, I needed, I needed a higher power. Lack of power had been my dilemma. And the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous was going to be the place where I was going to find clear-cut, precise directions on how to work these steps. Because, you know, I was a compulsive overeater. I was a compulsive overeater. And, and uh, in, in finding the information clearly in this book, having the doctor's opinion more about alcoholism, there is a solution, Bill's story, all of those chapters taught me about myself. They taught me about myself. And I was a compulsive overeater who was absolutely prisoner of the disease. You know, ideas about food were my solution, followed by the actions of picking up the food. The mental obsession was strong in me. It was so strong in me. And so I picked up the food again and again and again. And even when I put the food down, the mental obsession assured me. It, my experience showed me that I would always, always, always pick up the food again. You know, did I know that it was a spiritual problem that I had? No, I did not. No, I did not. But, you know, there were even times when I looked back on it that I tried to find a solution in God. You know, I tried to find a solution in God. You know, I had been given a religious background. I had been taught many beautiful religious ideas as a child. You know, I thought I could could pray to God. You know, and sometimes I prayed outside of church and sometimes I prayed in church. And when, when I felt the most crazy and the most powerless in my life, I oftentimes found some idea of God being what I was led to. But, you know, it never helped me. It never helped me until finally all of this information got translated for me into a language I could understand. And it was going to be the language of the heart, and it was going to be a language of the 12 steps, and it was going to be the clear-cut, precise directions in this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So in step four, you know, if I've been through now the process of the first three steps, Then I'm at step four, and boy, when I got to step four, and you told me that this searching and fearless inventory was going to be the next step I would take, you know, I needed, I needed to know that this was going to be what was going to get me out of the place that I was in. And so what you had been teaching me, what I had been learning, is that I have these thoughts and ideas. I have these thoughts and ideas. And all my life, I depended on those thoughts and ideas. I depended on those thoughts and ideas to lead me through my life. Because that's where all my actions came from, those thoughts and ideas that I had. And those thoughts and ideas that I had had gotten me into some horrible places. They kept bringing me back to those places where I was in fear and I was in resentment 
and and I couldn't I couldn't live the life that I thought I wanted. You know, I couldn't live a life based on values that I thought I had. Why was that why was that not possible to live this life that I wanted? I could see other people living this life that I wanted. And so in this step four process, it was a huge turning point. You know, and you had told me in step three that step four, it had this commitment that I was making, this idea that I had about turning my life and my will over to God. You know, that's what I found in the big book and the fellowship of people who were working the steps right out of the big book. You know, what you had been teaching me was what I needed to know. I needed to know what to do. What do I do? What do I do? And you taught me and you showed me what to do. You said, we're going to do a searching and fearless moral inventory. And you know what? You'd already done one. You'd already done one. And you were showing me that what you had done was something that I might do to get what you had got. You know, and that step forward to me changed everything. Because if the food was down, if I wasn't compulsively overeating, then what I needed was that entire psychic change. If I was going to live happy, if I was going to live joyous, if I was going to live free, then somehow, some way, I needed that entire psychic change. And you were going to show me, by working the steps right out of the big book, how I could have that entire psychic change. And everybody's talked about that so far, that it's a process, that it's a process, that it's a series of actions. And by taking those actions and diving into that process, that it was going to change my thinking. And if it changed my thinking, then I was going to be in a whole new place, a whole new set of conceptions, a whole new set of ideas were going to be mine. Were going to be mine. But in order to get there, but in order to get there, I had to give up. What, a, what an idea. Give up. Give up. Give up, surrender, surrender, surrender. All those old ideas that I had. And that's what, that's, thank God, thank you, everybody who showed me that, who taught me that, who I could see clearly. And you, you didn't leave me hanging there. You know, the fellowship was going to support me as I dove into that steps, accessing the power. The fellowship was going to support me. And I had been so self-sufficient. I had lived a life based on those old ideas, those old thoughts, those old actions that came out of those old thoughts. Because it was my thinking. It was always my thinking that led me to all those actions. And I hurt people. I hurt people by those actions. I hurt people by those thinking. And I hurt myself. I hurt myself because... I could not access God, and God was always there. God was within me. You know, I love that it says that. Right there in the big book, it says that. You know, that, that if I was convinced and wanted to turn my life and my will over to God, that deep inside every man, woman, and children, child was the idea of God. 
But there were things that were blocking me from that power. And those things that were blocking me, you showed me were my fears and my resentments. The fact that I was angry all the time. I didn't even know how angry I was. I was angry all the time because I was locked in fear. And I was locked in those resentments, re-feeling those things over and over and over again. You know, and, and you were going to show me, you were going to help me make that inventory. You know, step four is an individual process, yes, isn't it? Isn't it? I, w- I was going to have to take that inventory, but you were going to help me do that. You were going to help me do that. You know, I am so, so grateful today for this big book inventory process, you know, that showed me that all those thoughts and ideas, you know, were what got me into trouble. And the big book talks about that so clearly. This changed my life. This changed my life. And that's what I needed. I needed a big change in my life because by myself, by myself, stuck in those thought processes that I had, do, the, do what you do, Janice, and you're always going to get what you got and you're going to be stuck there. And I saw that. I took that written inventory. I wrote down everything. You know, I wrote down all those places that I got stuck, that I got stuck. And it unblocked me. It unblocked me from the sunlight of the spirit. All of a sudden, I discovered things about myself. And isn't it interesting? I needed to know that you get rid of things. 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 And all of a sudden, the sunlight of the spirit was there, shining through all those places that I'd been blocked from. So this step four process was a huge and beautiful change for me because that's what I needed. I needed to change. You know, I, as a compulsive overeater, I had been stuck in that process of my own human fears, my own human resentments, my dishonesty, my inconsiderate nature. You know, I... I had gained 105 pounds. I had been one of those people who always said, I'm never going to get over 180. I'm never going to get over 200. I'm never going to get over 225. And I kept climbing and climbing and climbing, going back to the very thing that was killing me over and over again because my mind told me that obsessive, compulsive mind of mine, that compulsive eater mind of mine was stuck in that thinking was stuck in that thinking. And then I hurt people, and then the guilt and remorse ate me up, and I'd be back in the food again. But this step four inventory was going to show me a stock and trade. What did I have to deal with? All I had was my old thoughts and my old ideas. And so you were going to show me how to get rid of those old thoughts and those old ideas and let new ideas in. In order to let those new ideas in, I had to get rid of the old ideas. All things. And I was going to see the truth behind those old ideas. And I was going to be in touch with new ideas and new conceptions. And I'm I'm so grateful for that today. But I couldn't do it by myself. Self selfish and self seeking and stuck in self, manifestations of self. That's all I had to go by. And when I gave that all up 
and I clung to the fellowship of people who were recovering, who were recovered from compulsive overeating, who were walking the path with me, and they showed me and taught me and helped me. And then prayer became very useful because it was getting me in touch with this idea, this new idea, which gave me new actions to take and brought me to a new place, to a new place. So if you're anything like me, you know, people showed me how not to be afraid, how not to be selfish, how not to be stuck in my resentment. And it was the process of working the steps that was going to work for me. It was going to work for me. And I'm grateful, grateful, grateful for that. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Welcome, Marsha D. Thanks, Leah. Good morning, everybody. I'm Marsha. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from St. Louis. Um, it's hard to talk about step five without talking about a little bit about step four because step five is all about taking that inventory and uh, sharing it with God, and admitting it with God, admitting it to myself, and admitting it more, most importantly or most, most frighteningly to another human being. I didn't have a problem admitting it to myself, not at all. I didn't have a problem admitting it to God, but I sure did have a big problem admitting it to another human being. This was not the first step I had taken, this last one that I had taken with my with my sponsor. I had taken a couple of fifth steps, but I was not thorough. Not thorough about them at all. And um, there's a reason why I went into a near four-year relapse, because I was not working the program thoroughly. I was not working the program out of the big book. Uh, and I did not do a fifth step according to fourth step according to the big book or thorough fifth step. So nearly, you know, four years in relapse and uh, nearly gaining back all the weight that uh, almost being up to my top weight ever, that's what it will get you. My sponsor told me while I was doing my fourth step that it's important to be thorough. And as long as I keep these darker items hidden, then eventually I will eat. It's like physically hanging on to the weight. And if I don't let go of that, those obstacles that block me off from God, then I will gain that weight back. It will come back to me. It will sneak back into my very insidious. Our, our disease is very cunning, baffling, powerful, insidious disease. Um, so I, like I said, I did my uh, fifth step according to the big, fourth step according to the big book, and uh, now it was time to shed this light, my personal inventory, uh, with my sponsor. Um, these were the items that blocked me off from God. These were the obstacles that kept my, me in bondage to food. And so um, this this whole step work process is about ego reduction. And anybody who knows me knows I have an ego the size of the Grand Canyon. And I need to work with my higher power and my sponsor to get my ego down to the size that my higher power needs to be. And I needed to be humble. This is absolutely the most important thing I've ever done. And, and step five is very significant to me because I finally, finally 
shed a light on the darker items in my past and shared it with another human being, trusting that this person was not going to vomit, run away, or start screaming and shaking a finger at me. And thank goodness none of that happened. But, you know, in my mind, I could have sworn I was the worst person on earth. So Joe and Charlie, I've listened to them often uh, as they talk about steps, and uh, they describe really what came out of my fourth step as why I was either the three things, it was one of three things, or all three things. I was either angry as hell, scared to death, or filled with guilt, shame, and remorse. To be honest, I wasn't afraid to share about being angry and resentful. I wasn't afraid to talk about my fears. I was scared to death to talk about my sex conduct and the harm that I had done some of the some of the people in my life. Um, it was that last thing, that last part, the guilt, shame, and remorse that kept me from being completely honest in the past with my success. Um, I couldn't admit this to another human being. I couldn't admit it to myself. I mean, I, 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 I could admit it to myself. I could admit it to God, but oh my goodness, really? You want me to tell somebody? Um, open myself up to that humiliation? Oh, I couldn't do that. I, I, but I knew that I had to. I, I heard on another phone meeting that this is not something that we, have, we can shy away from. We must do this in order to recover. We must do this in order to open ourselves up to the sunlight of the Spirit, as Janice said. For the most part of, for the most of my life, I justified my attitudes and behaviors because uh, blaming other people because I perceived that others caused me to do these things. Um, the fourth step set me straight, and the fifth step that forced me to be humble about it. Uh, I laid out everything to my sponsor. Um, we met on three separate occasions. Uh, we met in a chapel of a hospital. It's the first time. It's not my denomination, um, but I felt like I needed to be close to my higher power, at least that first step. So that first, first meeting. And we met three times, uh, one and a half to two hours each time. And uh, I brought a lot of tissue with me because there were a lot of tears that I shed particularly um, during my sex conduct. Um, I think it's very important that, you know, we, uh, it, it, you can share it with another human being. Uh, it doesn't really specify in the big book who your, who your other person is. It really says it's who you, you feel you can share it with. But I feel strongly that I needed to share my fifth step with a recovered 12-step person, um, and my sponsor is indeed a recovered person with more than 20 years of abstinence in this program, and, um, but I could have probably shared it with another 12-step person in another, in another 12-step program. Uh, I couldn't share my inventory with my best friend. She qualifies as another human being, but she's not worked the steps. She's not a compulsive eater. She's not an alcoholic. She, she does not have that experience, have gone, having gone before me, having worked the steps before me. It's very important that I work with somebody who worked the steps and knew it needed to be done and could shine a light and help me to look at this inventory and say, no, I don't think that was so much selfishness as I think that was dishonesty. Or no, I don't think that was, I, I think you need to add 
self-seeking in that as well because you were also self-seeking by doing X. So I needed somebody who understood what my the grosser handicaps were and, and to help me to really take that honest analysis that, that, that is described. We do an, an inventory and an analysis of this so that I can even be more honest about this, more truth, more truth about this. Um, we prayed at the end of all this, and she told me the most, three most important words I needed to hear, and that was, I love you. I really needed to hear that after all of that, that somebody still loved me, that I was okay, that I was still a human being who had flaws that needed, that needed to get well. And that's what I was doing with her. I was getting well. I was getting better. And the most amazing thing about this is that step five has promises. And they're on page 75 of the big book. Once we have taken this step, withholding nothing, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. That, that is true for me. We can be alone and at perfect peace and ease. That is true for me for the most part, especially when I look back at my past. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness, nearness of our creator. Yes, I do. We have had certain spiritual beliefs. We, we may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. Yes, that's very true for me. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. I feel very strong. I, I knew I felt very strong at the time of the fifth step, that I felt really that I was strong, stronger by having now turned my will and my life over to my higher power and, and I was working with steps. And I knew that and food was not calling to me. It does not call to me today. Thank God. Um, we feel we are on the broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. I do believe that. I do believe that. And then my sponsor advised me to go home and to be quiet for about an hour and carefully think about what I, my inventory and what I had done. Um, and in the big book it says, we thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. Taking this book down from our shelf, we turn to the page which contains the 12 steps, carefully reading the first five proposals. We ask if we have omitted anything, for we are building an arch through which we shall walk a free man at last. Is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimped on the cement, put into the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? And I did that. I sat there with the book, and I tried to think if there was anything that I was missing. And if I did find something, I would tell her. And um, and then the next step was moving on to step six. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Welcome, Victoria. Good morning, everybody. This is Victoria, recovered compulsive overeater in Minneapolis. I am so happy for the chance to share my experience, strength, and hope with you as it, as it unfolded through the sixth step. Um, just a few words about my disease. I was a late-stage, low-bottom um, Late stage, low bottom, living in tortured compulsive eater. Um, if I could have mainlined my 
binge foods, my best binge foods, I think I would have tried. So I didn't find recovery until more than 40 years of living in the disease. I had periods of being able to stay stop, but I could never sustain them. Step six for me was a turning point in my recovery. It was a turning point into a freedom I'd never experienced in my life. And it was ironic that it was the sixth step because my thought about the sixth step was that it seemed like a non-step. It had only a small paragraph in the big book. It seemed like a benign, passive step. I didn't understand how it could do anything. And what what I learned through my experience is that my recovery rested on my ability to find my way through the sixth step, and it was a turning point. I'd like to share that with you, and I'd also like to talk about how the sixth step continues to be a turning point in my daily life by sharing something I experienced yesterday, which took me right back to it. I live in the sixth step a lot. Um, The 12 and 12 says on page 63, this is a step that separates the men from the boys, and I never knew what that meant, Um, you know, for me, the women from the girls. You know, it seemed like it was talking about the grown-ups and how the grown-ups were different from the children, but I had no idea how it applied to the step. And I only do in hindsight. After, after working my way in earnest because I was so desperate um, that I held back nothing in steps one through five, when I came to step six, I hit a wall. Um, I hit a big wall, and much had been revealed through the first five steps. But when I got to the sixth step, I I really had to fall back on the simple prayer, God, help me to see what I can never see on my own. And I had to fall back on the second step over and over. Is there a God? Is there a God who could and would? who could and would restore me to sanity. And for me, that came to mean that entire psychic change the big book tells me I must have if I'm going to stay stopped. And I had fallen back into the disease so many times, so demoralized, so despairing of ever staying stopped. And it was worse every time that I thought I can't go on living this way. I deeply, deeply, deeply want to stay stopped. What, my, what that process of four and five had revealed to me is that shame was the cornerstone of my personality and my sense of identity. And I, many years of therapy never produced that clarity, but it was so clear to me when I approached step six. And I, you know, I don't think other people had any sense of, of that in me because I concealed it. But my vision of where I lived was three stories below the New York subway system in a bunker. And I could see myself in that bunker. And I knew that was my true home. That's where I belonged. And that also in that process, I came to understand 
I could not love so long as I experienced myself as so worthless. And, and shame is beyond worthlessness. It's a, it's a toxic state. And when I realized it really defined my identity, I thought, this is even bigger than my compulsion to eat compulsively. You know, and God, I experienced that being removed early on when I got serious and was willing to go to any lengths. I was freed of that compulsion that I never thought would leave me. I thought it was in my genes. But this suddenly seemed even bigger than that. This was the core of who I was. How was a power I couldn't see, I couldn't name, going to be powerful enough to take that from me? And I knew if it wasn't, I would pick up the food again. Because once I became connected to it, I, I experienced the poison. I felt it. I recognized this is why I cannot love myself. I cannot love others. I cannot love God. And I was powerless to change it. So my first obstacle was, is God big enough? Is God powerful enough? My second obstacle was, if God is, it feels, if God is that powerful that this can be taken from me, it feels like death. I won't have, I won't be anyone I recognize at all. Whoever is left over, if this goes, will not be the me I've lived with all my life. It'll be somebody else, and that felt like dying to me. And even though my life was so tortured, the thought of dying terrified me. And I stayed stuck in that place for several weeks between a rock and a hard place because I knew if I couldn't become entirely ready for it to be taken, I would pick up the food again because there was no way to live with an inner state like this. And I finally reached the point where I was ready to jump and I didn't have faith of what would happen, that it would turn out that I wouldn't die, but I was willing. I was willing, and I jumped. I had that inner experience of release within myself, relaxing my grip on what I had always been. And I can tell you, I don't know how it happened. I don't know exactly when, but it didn't take very long. Um, I think certainly by the end of the ninth step, I no longer experienced shame as defining who I was. I felt new, and I still felt alive. I didn't die, but that died. You know, there's a lot of mystery in that. I don't claim to understand and I don't need to understand. But it is what has allowed me for 11 years to stay stopped and not to even want to pick up. How I use that step in my daily life now is it is so important to me because it reminds me again and again I am not a victim of circumstance. I am not a victim of circumstance. When I identify what it is in me, whether it is fear, whether it is resentment, pride, that 
that I need to dump, I need to have taken before that poison takes hold, I encounter my will, that irrepressible desire to hold on to it because I'm not ready yet, even though it's causing me pain. Step six puts right in my face my own culpability in the pain I ask God to take. And it's become so clear to me that my higher power cannot and will not take what I refuse to release. And there are times like yesterday when someone very close to me was behaving towards me in a way that I saw as troubled, disturbed, um, punitive, um, hurtful, and I was free of the need to react. I did not need to react, um, which would have been my history. Um, and But when I went inside myself in that spot check inventory, I found that I was feeling judgmental about that person acting that way. I wasn't reacting, but I had the beginning of feeling superior and that that was wrong. And it is not my place to judge. That is another poison. And at that time, I struggled with the willingness to let that be taken from me. And I experienced those struggles, quite honestly, many times a day. And I am comforted by what the 12 and 12 tells me on 65. This does not mean that we expect all our character defects to be lifted out of us as the drive to drink or compulsively eat was. We shall have to be content with patient improvement. And it, it, it has given me the chance to experience very consciously how self-will did in fact drive my disease and stands as the biggest, tallest, thickest, widest wall between me and the peace, me and the freedom, me and releasing the pain I long to release um, and cannot until that feeling within me um, of release happens. And for me, it, it, I go inside myself and try to find a sensation like Velcro. If I can feel something like Velcro inside me, I know I'm holding on. I have not, I'm not ready to have it be taken, and it won't be taken until I'm ready. So I, this is the power step for me. This is the power step to find recovery and to stay in recovery. And I am so grateful for it and the chance to share with you today. I'll Thank pass. You. Thank you. Step seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Welcome, Katie G. Good morning, everyone. My name is Katie G. from Boston, Mass., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Thank you um, for the privilege of hearing my fellow recovered compulsive overeaters. I really, have been really touched by everyone's sharing. So when I got to this part of the work, I had been emptied out, right? Like I had seen my growth or handicaps. And um, not just that food wasn't my problem, it was the only solution I ever knew. I had the privilege of reading that to another woman in recovery. And I started coming home into my body for the first time. It was like, 
I was the Grinch, right? Like my heart was growing. And when I got to step six and seven, to be honest, not a lot that first time was going on for me. I felt empty because I saw through these notebooks of resentment, fear, and sex conduct how living my life based on my principles was empty and void and had brought me to my knees as an abstinent woman in recovery had brought me to my knees completely unsure of what the heck to do with my life without relationships, without jobs, like I couldn't do it on my own. And so when I got to step seven, I was I was just empty. And, you know, the seven-step prayer starts off with my creator. All of a sudden, I am as God created me, right? I'm not this piece of poop, right, that I've been telling myself my whole life. I am as God created me. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me. And what does willing mean? It means to surrender, obedience. And I was so defeated by the way I had lived my life that I, and empty, I thought, sure, absolutely, like, I don't know how to do this. And the key for me of step seven is humility, right? Like, seeing myself as I really am. I am not the worst person in the world. I'm not the best. I'm not the smartest. (laughs) But I just, I am as God created me. And there was a lot of self-acceptance and a lot of willingness. Okay, here I go, God, my creator. I said the prayer, right? And then all of a sudden, I was back on the phone doing a 10-step inventory with a friend of mine because I was so irritated at a friend of mine and I was making the same mistakes. Like I had done the same turnaround against her like a hundred like times, right? Like I'm on my 10-step and I'm like, I can't let this go. What is going on for me? And again, it brought me back to step six and seven because for me, step six and seven became and continues to be an active process for me now, seeing my character defects. Like my ability to live in this world is I'm a lot more sensitive. You know, I'm a lot more sensitive when I'm telling myself lies. And I was on the phone with my friend and she said, you know, are you willing to surrender this? Are you willing to say, you know what, she really is doing the best she can, you know? And, um, and, to, and to realize that my purpose, my primary purpose isn't success and ego, you know? Um, the other thing I'll say that's really important about the seven-step prayer for me that I was taught is that steps four through six, I performed pretty rapidly. You know, there were actions that I took, there were, ser- there were prayers that I took, and I didn't say amen until the end of step seven because that's when I'm starting to take the action, right? And how I integrate step seven in my life today is, okay, God, like I see that I am wanting to character assassinate this girl in my graduate school, school class, right? Why? Because I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm not good enough. You know, I'm afraid that, that if, if you knew, if my classmates knew who I really was, that they would reject me. So I start gossiping her at her first, you know. And I would love to tell you that this, this character defect of gossip has been removed from me, my selfishness, my judgment. But it's, it's not like it just goes away. Like if I continue to, I, I can continue to practice my character defects and God's not going to all of a sudden poof, 
remove them. Like I have to be willing. I have to be willing to do things differently. I have to be willing to be like, you know what? It's okay if my classmates hate me. I just need to show up. But I'm not going to get them to like me by character assassinating somebody else, right? And, you know, other areas that I see, like when I was first, um, when I was first coming out of, the, out of the work, was my fear. Like I saw in my fear inventory, I had never made a decision that wasn't entirely based on fear. You know, and am I willing to show up and say, okay, God, what, what is your purpose for me today? Like, how, does it, how can I be useful today? How can I be of practice, practical use? So let me show up and walk through my fears of failing in graduate school and say, you know what, God? I don't care. I'm going to, if I, if I fall, at least I can say at the end of my life that I did not, that I failed, right? But that I tried, that I wasn't hiding. Because so much of my life I was hiding. And am I willing to sit with that discomfort, that fear of showing up and risking failing? And, just, and, and I'm a hard-headed addict, right? Like my ego gets in there. But after, over time, over period after period of making the, having the same defects come up, I am slowly seeing, okay, God, like I'm going to show up today. You show me. How do you want me to be useful? One area that I've had a lot of amazing uh, opportunity is, you know, my stepbrother. He's an active alcoholic, and my my fourth step was full of resentment against him. Why? Because he's, he, to me, he's getting, like, in my resentment, he's getting something that I want. He's being taken care of. He lives at home. You know, in my outcome for that, I wanted to be the superhero, like KDG showing up. Look at me. I have a 12-step program. I'm so much better. You know, and I kept the same resentment kept coming up over and over again, and I just kept showing up. And ultimately, like, the magic is I, I didn't know this was going to happen, but today I show up for my, my dad and I just listen. I don't have to have the answer. And, you know, step seven is about, okay, God, you, I'm going to just show up. Here are, you, you're in charge of the results. You know, and I'm and and it's like, am I willing to sit with the discomfort that I am not in charge? And it's continual growth and frankly continued honesty. Because I would love to get on the line today and tell you all that I'm perfect. That's my ego. Like I'm totally afraid that if I tell you, you guys are all gonna be like, Oh my gosh, Katie's Katie gossips. Katie resents her stepbrother. Katie wants to wants to reject her best friend because she is so afraid that her best friend is rejecting hers her first, or Katie wants to reject these men, or, you know, go back to an old boyfriend because she's so afraid of being alone. You know, I'm afraid that y'all are going to judge me, and you know what? It doesn't matter. Like, I need to be willing to be honest and say, I am really, I am really struggling with this, God, but you know what? I can't be, I can't stay surrendered and be defended. You know, my, my character defects are defenses that no longer work. If I continue to practice them, you know, I'm going to get what I've always gotten. And, you know, and I'll close with this. It's amazing because as I share, as I'm honest, yes, I was in a relationship with a married man or, and look where I am today, right? Like I don't have fears in a relationship with men and I'm able to say who I am. I can be uniquely useful to others. I get calls from other women who are afraid that they're, who have just been fired from a job or they're in a relationship with a married man or whatever. Like, and it's like, oh my gosh, I can be of use to other people. 
So please, God, I pray every day, like I say this seven step prayer is an active part of my life today, you know, to stay humble, to remember, like I'm going to continue to make mistakes, but I can take that breath and say, okay, God, I'm going to put a pause between myself and the stimulus, and I'm going to stop, and I'm going to say, okay, God, you take this. I may fall flat on my face, but I trust you today. So it's a privilege to be here. The step and step is an amazing, active part of my process. I continue to integrate it, that step, and all the steps of my life every day. Thank you, God. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Next, steps eight and nine. Step eight, made a list of all people we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. And step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Welcome, Joette. Thank you, Leah. Um, If you'll uh, give me a moment, I need to say a small prayer before I speak. God, you know what is in my heart. You know what words I need to say. Please give them to me. Please help me set aside my ego so I can do your will. Thank you. Uh, I'm an addict. My name's Joette. I've been in program since May of 2009, and I've been abstinent since March of 2011. And um, thank you, Leah, very much for asking me to speak. I always learn something when I give a talk. Uh, so it's always beneficial to me, and I always um, like the opportunity to give service uh, back to OA because I've gotten so much from this program. And I told uh, Leah when she asked me what steps I wanted, I said number, step number nine for me was a, a huge turning point in my life. And she called me back and said, you know, nobody volunteered for step eight. And I thought, oh, poor little step eight. And um, she asked me if I could speak a little bit on the uh, spiritual willingness, and I thought, Spiritual willingness. Well, I could probably speak more on my spiritual unwillingness. but um, So I looked at, at step eight, and the principle of step eight is self-discipline. And um, self-discipline is self-control. And the opposite of that is self-will run riot. And that's something I can really speak, speak for or speak about um, because that's really where I was, especially the first time I approached step eight and step nine. And... Um, The principle for step nine is love. And that explained a lot to me as to why I was so adverse for taking step nine. Because I grew up in a house where um, my mother was always right, my father was always wrong. So my mother had all the power, she had all the love. So the lesson I learned there was if I made a mistake, then I was a mistake. So the last thing that I wanted to do was to admit that I wronged anybody or that I made a mistake, much less having to admit it to the person, much less having to make an amends for it. So I went out of my way to avoid ever making amends or admitting that I made mistakes. So I didn't have a lot of spiritual willingness when I first came into this program. And um, as I said, I came in in May of 2009, and I got abstinent March of 2011. So... The first, like, year and a half um, I spent um, being abstinent maybe 30 days, maybe, you know, I'd get up to 60 or 90, and then I'd eat again. And then I discovered as I was going through these steps, you know, I finally made it through four and five and six and seven, and I got to eight, and I realized eight was awfully close to nine, so I would eat. 
So this was my pattern for several months that uh, every time I broke my abstinence, my sponsor took me back to step one because she taught me that step one was the only step I could take with 100% perfection. And if I didn't take it perfectly, then I would eat again. So sure enough, I would eat again, so we'd have to go back to step one, and she would say things like, well, it shouldn't take you, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of time on each of the steps. You've been through them more than once at this point, you know, several times. And I thought, well, you know, I don't really want to hurry through these because that just gets me to step nine all that quicker. So there's clearly no spiritual willingness in, in, uh, in my life um, while I was doing this. And I repeated this for, you know, probably a year, uh, avoiding step nine, until I got to the point where I started looking around to see what other people had, decided I wanted what they had. And so I decided that the, re- the, the way I was going to have my spiritual awakening, my transformation was, okay, I was going to do step nine. Okay, God, fine. If you think I should do step nine, I'll show you. I'm going to get my, my entire psychic change. I'm going to be transformed. I'm going to get this whole fourth dimension stuff. And I'm going to do it because I'm going to do step nine and I'm going to show you. So you probably know that there's not a lot of spiritual willingness in that attitude. But God is really amazing because when I looked at, and I, really, and I did my step nine, December of um, 2010, and I really did get a lot out of it. So in spite of my uh, doing it imperfectly, um, I really did get some things from it. And some of the things I got was that um, I, had a, I had a boss that when I worked for him, I was really obstinate. And I was, I was decided that, you know, he wasn't doing it right in his office and that I should do it, we should do it my way, not his way. And he was always wrong and I was always right. So I had to go back to him and make an amends and basically tell him that, that, you know, I was not flexible, I was not willing to, you know, to do it his way and that I was being selfish and inconsiderate and fearful and all those things that, you know, step four and step five taught me that I was. And an amazing thing happened. He said, you know, it, he, he said, you know, it really wasn't you, it was me. I was going through a rough time with my ex and, you know, I had some financial problems and I thought to myself, Here's a man who I actually didn't have a lot of respect for up until that point in time, um, even though, you know, my sponsor taught me that it's not, you know, I was just supposed to clean my side of the street. And God gave me this beautiful gift of him being honest and open with me because I was honest and open with him. And the other thing I got from doing the, the ninth step so imperfectly the first time was that um, I had some sexual amends that I had to to take care of. And some of them were because I had uh, affairs with married men. And there's no way that I wanted to call these people that I knew back in the 70s and 80s and hadn't spoke to since then and tell them that I was wrong. Because in my mind, you know, these guys were older than me and, and they knew better than me and I was the victim here, not, not them. I didn't victimize them. They victimized me. And my sponsor really helped me see that my side of the street, my contribution, that I was being fearful that, you know, I couldn't be in a relationship, you know, with somebody who wasn't married or I was being inconsiderate because these people were married and they had families and that impact, what I did impacted other people. And so... I was convinced I wasn't going to be able to find any of these people and, 
Um, so I went on the Internet and actually found somebody that I hadn't talked to since the early 80s and found him on the Internet and found a home phone number and called him and made my amends. And um, to be quite honest with you, after I hung up, I thought, oh, I bet that was really uncomfortable for him. Oh, good. So here's, I'm supposed to be cleaning up my side of the street and taking care of my resentment, and I'm building a resentment on it. Which again, when I look at the ninth step and the eighth step, I see where I was not spiritually willing. And so I wasn't really getting out of that what I needed to get out. But then again, you know, working these steps, we, we can't work steps eight and nine perfectly. They're, I kind of see them on a continuum. And some of, some of the things I did was a little bit closer to, to the God way of doing it, and some of the, my actions were a, bit, a little bit closer to my self-will. Um, because there was another person that I needed to contact. And the relationship I'd had with him was very manipulative, very controlling, very, um, he was very abusive to me. And so I didn't want to talk to him. And I tried to convince my sponsor that it wouldn't be a good idea for me to call him. And she just very quietly said, why don't you just, you know, God just wants you to be willing. So I sat on the Internet for a good hour or two and thought of every way possible to search and find his name, his kid's name, somehow to find out how to contact him. And God saw fit for me not to do that. But I realized I needed to be willing to do that. And that was, that was a big step for me. So I did get some things out of doing the ninth step this way. But one of the things I did not get was this huge spiritual awakening. I didn't get transformed. I didn't get shot into a fourth dimension. So I got pissed off at God. So I said, well, fine, then I'll just eat again. So I got back into the food. This was January of 2011. So for three months, I couldn't figure out why I couldn't be abstinent for 30 days or 60 days or 90 days. I couldn't string more than seven to ten days of abstinence together at a time. And I had always done that before. I had always gotten back on the, on the bandwagon before. And I realized that this was a lot of eyes. And it wasn't until I got serious with my sponsor, sponsor. And the big decision was I decided to do what my sponsor suggested I do. And that has made all the difference in the world. So I went back to step one, went through all the steps with a real earnestness and honesty and willingness. And when I got to step nine, I was willing to do whatever I needed to do. And I had one of the most beautiful step nine amends. I had to contact my roommate from college, and I hadn't seen her since 1974. And I know a lot of you weren't born yet, but yes, it's true. Um, and again, I found her on the Internet, and it was a God thing. And she's a doctor. So I called her office and explained that I was a college roommate and asked if I could, you know, get an email or something, and I made arrangements to call her. And I called her after not seeing her for all these years and told her that while we were roommates, I had stolen some money from her and that I, you know, was in a 12-step program now and I needed to make amends. And so she wouldn't hear of me paying it back to her. So I told her that I would donate it to a charity that I knew that she supported, and she was fine with that. And so we went on and we talked for like 45 minutes. And at the end of the call, 
She said, you know, I'm really glad that you stole that money from me. Because if you hadn't, we would have never had this, this talk, this time to share and, and to get to know each other again. And that's when I knew that this was really a God thing. And that's when I knew that admitting making mistakes does not mean that I'm a mistake. In fact, it's just the opposite. Admitting my mistakes and making my amends tells me how much God loves me, tells me how much, how worthy, how worthy of a human being that I am. It tells me that I'm human. It tells me it's okay to make a mistake. It tells me that God still loves me, that other people still love me. It's a way that God helps me build character and integrity and honesty and humility. And I love the definition of humility of accepting who I am while becoming the person that God knows that I am. And that has made all the difference in the world in my life, in my program, in my relationship with my higher power. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. And more on step nine. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Welcome, Joe M. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Joe. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Because I had gone through the first eight steps, I was ready for step nine, and I was clear why I was doing it. I had admitted my powerlessness over my physical and spiritual condition. I was convinced that following a sober person's directions using the Big Book Method was the only way I was going to get free of the spiritual pain I was in. I was willing to look squarely at the damage I had caused by my effort to run on self-will, and I was willing to repair that damage. I had done my inventory shared it with my recovered sponsor, took ownership of my past acts, and had a desire to be different than who I had been. I ran all of my proposed amends through my sponsor, so I was sure they would be direct, honest, clear, and thorough without further harming the other person or anyone else. When I got the all clear from my sponsor to proceed with these amends, I went forward, and here are some of the amends I made. I made amends to my dad for ignoring his retirement. I sat across from him on my couch and said I was sorry I hadn't acknowledged him for this major milestone in his life. I read him a list that I had prepared telling him all the things I had personally gained during all the years he supported me and our family through all of his wage earning, um, music lessons, sports activities, family vacations, going to college, and how these things were possible for me because he had been such a good provider. Then I gave him a card with money in it for him and his wife's travel fund as a way to say, I want to support the quality of your life now as you enjoy your retirement years. This was my first amend, and it was a big one, because I thought if I can do the big ones, I can do the small ones. I sent a check for $400 to the movie company whose movies I snuck into without paying for for years with a note of apology and stating, I don't do that anymore. I sent money and notes of apology to convenience stores and grocery stores where I had shoplifted food. I called my old babysitting customers and apologized for having stolen their food every time I babysat for them. I offered to pay for that food, and when they said that wasn't necessary, I went to the grocery store and bought a care package of food and donated it to a local food shelf. I called a former boss and apologized for the quiet resistance I had exhibited when I worked for her. I called a former coworker and apologized for not speaking to him the last two years we worked together. I called a former roommate and apologized for my immature behavior when we lived together. 
Uh, I apologized to my sister for intentionally withholding information about my niece that she had shared with me that I should have passed on to another family member and did not. I made restitution to my other sister for having done something earlier in our lives that put her safety at risk. I apologized to my brother for staying silent when his then-wife berated him in front of me. I made amends to my mother for ignoring her and my dad's 25th wedding anniversary celebration and for shoving her out of my life for five years. I sent a letter to a former friend of mine apologizing for having ended the relationship in the way that I did and told her that I had valued the friendship while it had lasted. Step 9 says made direct amends to such people except when to do so would injure them or others. I had one amend that I had to discuss very seriously with my sponsor whether it would harm the other person, even to contact them. My sponsor told me to check this out with three other people, and I did, and the consensus among all four was do not contact this person. You may be doing harm if you do that. So I found another way with my sponsor's help to release my remorse out into the universe, and that's how I let go of that pain. The big book says if we are calm, frank, and open, we will be gratified with the results. I read that passage right before my dad came over so I could make my amends to him in a way that was calm. Uh, Reading that right before he came calmed me down. I was nervous so I could be in a better spiritual place from which to make those amends to my dad. So what is my approach to be? The big book tells me on page 83 we should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile or scraping. As God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. This is the attitude I adopted before I approached any of these people. The effect that amends had on me, it relieved me of the guilt, remorse, and shame I had carried around for all those years. It had the effect of instilling the personality change they talk about in the big book. In the food, I had a personality that allowed me to feel entitled to roll over other people's boundaries in the interest of my own desires. Now, I was practicing the opposite of that, taking ownership of my actions and repairing the damage done. It's in the middle of step nine in the big book where it says, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. And that was true for me. I felt like a different person in the middle of this process. I remember coming home from one of my amends thinking, I've got to go to my OA meeting and tell people about this. I had not felt that way about anything else in my OA journey, but now I felt compelled to tell people because I wanted other people to experience what I was experiencing. My consciousness opened up about other people because of step step nine, because if I got to be redeemed for my actions, then other people get to be redeemed for theirs. It gave me tolerance and acceptance for other people at a level I never had before. And this applied to everything from large kinds of behavior, including politicians doing unethical things, to smaller behavior like a coworker, you know, doesn't do what I want that day. Step nine allowed me to step back and see the other person's humanity and understand that they, like me, are a whole person with their own history and struggles and present-day circumstances, and that attacking them for their one act is no longer something I can do, if I'm to be honest, because I had the opportunity to be alleviated of the permanent guilt I had been under. I no longer had the right to cast someone else into the pit of permanent guilt. I am not the same person I was before I did my nine-step amends. I'm a different person, and I'm a better person. The big book talks about the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. I had to go through a personality change to become recovered from compulsive overeating, and step nine was my ticket into that personality change. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Step 10, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Welcome, Katie F. 
Good morning. I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. And this uh, step to me, you know, is, is the difference between, for me, going on a diet and, um, and working a program because I had never stayed with anything. Um, so this step is like contrary to how I had, had lived my life for the first 27 years. And I uh, have been abstinent since October 7, 1987. It took approximately 10 months for me to lose 70 pounds. And I had um, never stayed stop. So by that point, I had, um, had worked through the steps, through steps one through nine, but then I didn't know how to uh, live. I thought that, you know, my idea of what life would look like would be that it would be um, happy, joyous, and free, you know, that I would just suddenly know how to do things. And, you know, that is a promise. I'm going to read the promises um, because these are what are supposed to happen after step nine. On page 83 of the big book, it says, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. This thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and to continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. So that is um, in the, where the steps are written out. It says, and when we are wrong, promptly admitted it. And I love that word, when. Because, you know, this step, unlike the, you know, first uh, nine people who have spoken, you know, those are somewhat you begin and you end. And, and yes, you go back to them, but, but it's sort of an event. Whereas step 10 is where I live. Step 10 is every day since, you know, for the last 25 years, I take a step 10 by looking at my behavior that day. And if I were perfect... I would have no, I would no longer have a need for step three. And if I were perfect, I would not, you know, ever have to revisit these other steps. But what happens is um, I look through um, I look through my day and I look to see what is it I have done wrong. And I look at my behavior. And then when I have done something, if it's something small, then I um, ask my sponsor, and, you know, this step really does segue with um, step 11 because 
it suggests that once you realize what you've done, then you seek God to figure out what you need to do. And for me, I also talk to a sponsor on a daily basis, and I do writing on a daily basis, and this is what I write about. I write about my actions for that day, and is there anything I need to clean up? Sometimes it's so big that I have to go back and revisit steps six and seven. Sometimes it's so big I have to revisit four because, you know, like when my father died in 2004, it was uh, rather, you know, it was a big thing and I went through a lot of feelings that I had never felt before and I had to revisit my entire relationship with him even though I had done that in a step four, you know, years before. But this is what step ten does for me. Um, you know, at night I look at, uh, I do a review and I say, was I resentful? Was I selfish? Was I dishonest? Was I jealous? Was I fearful? Um, was I irritable, restless, or dis- discontent? Was I kind and loving toward all? Do I owe an apology? What did I do for others? What could I have done better? What could I do well? And all these things, I turn over to God and I ask if there's actual action I need to take or if it's one more level of surrender. Because, you know, I would love to say that my life is just easy and perfect and, uh, you know, nothing ever comes up that requires, um, you know, attention. Like losing weight was, you know, just the cure-all of my life, but it, it wasn't. And, you know, that's so contrary to what I thought when I came into this program. I thought that I needed just to lose weight, and then everything would be okay. Um, And, of course, that's not what happened. Today, when I am in those places, if I'm restless, irritable, and discontent, then I sit quietly with my higher power, and I, you know, repeat these prayers. I have other actions that I take. Um, I call a newcomer, you know, because there's nothing like hearing someone else's pain that makes my situation seem not so bad. Um, And the biggest thing I find with writing is that when I just think about things, um, they spin around in my head and they are not really everything that's going on. And when I start to write about it, then I get to a different level of um, understanding. And then when I share it with another person, um, it... uh, it's released from me, and I don't have to think about it anymore. Um, so I see step 10 as the step that, you know, helps us to live in maintenance because I I just had no idea how hard it would be. You know, Christy talked at the beginning about, um, you know, losing the weight, and I can't remember now what she said. It was, you know, a whole hour ago, but... Um, there was something that she said that just made me think about how that high that I was on, even though I was working the steps and it was really hard work, it still was this high that I was used to of losing weight. And, you know, I don't get to do that anymore. I guess that's what she said about that people have forgotten. And, you know, where I live now, nobody has ever seen me overweight. There's not a single person in my life other than my own family members who I do not see even on a weekly basis who ever um, saw me as a heavy person. So they, you know, that was sort of my excuse 
for my behavior for so many years. And, of course, now you know, I don't have that excuse and I can't just use it as something to uh, dismiss my grouchiness or anything that might come along. And, you know, this uh, program is not something that you just do once and then you're done. Um, it's a continuous process, and I am so grateful that, you know, we're not expected to be perfect. I love the word when in that step, and with that, I'll pass. May I please press star one? Thank you. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Welcome, Michelle H. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everyone. This is Michelle H. uh, in St. Louis, a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Um, Well, I've just been um, traveling along with everyone, all the speakers, as we've been going on this spiritual journey. And um, I've really been moved by it and um, see how much this big book and the clear-cut directions in this book has helped me and helped so many. I started studying the big book um, in late October of 2010, and um, that's when I got abstinent. And I've been taught to take these steps according to the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I got recovered as it's promised to anyone who chooses to follow these these steps, these clear-cut directions as they're outlined in this book. And um, I'm just feeling so much gratitude um, for all the recovered people who are sharing this morning. Thanks for carrying the message. Um, you know, the first thing that came to mind as I was you know, reflecting on this step was um, um, a line from page 45 in the big book that popped into my mind was lack of power. That was our dilemma. And um, I went to that line because I remembered it, and then what followed really, um, you know, gave me a foundation for what God wanted me to say this morning. It said we had to find a power by which we could live. Um, And it didn't say we had to find a power by which I could put my food down or lose weight, um, but which we could live. And it had to be a power greater than ourselves because I had a problem with living. I thought I had a problem. I thought I had a weight problem. But I found out when I started studying this book that I had a problem with living. And, um, and these steps are a guide to, to help me to learn how to live a life um, that is a design for living that brings me joy, peace, and happiness. And... Um, you know, I wasn't always um, willing um, to do uh, a daily spiritual practice like I'm directed to do in Step 11, you know, seeking um, through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God. And um, the steps that I took prior to Step 11 um, helped me to find a relationship with God, develop a relationship with God. And um, I like what it says on on the bottom of page 85, and I want to read it from the big book. It says, Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. And then it says, If we have carefully followed directions, I've 
carefully followed these steps, the directions that have come before, then we have begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. To some extent, we have become God conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense, sixth sense. But we must go further, and that means more action. And like I said, I wasn't willing um, in the beginning to commit to more action that was required for me to, um, to do this step. Because I had just begun to have this God consciousness, and I, you know, my channel was just open. My channel was just unclogged going through these steps. Now I got unblocked. Um, the things that were blocking me, resentment, anger, frustration, um, bitterness. And so um, in the previous steps, you know, these things were removed. They, you know, helped me to open, um, you know, open this channel to God. And so the action of step 11 keeps this channel open so that God can come in. And God provides what I need for this 24 hours. You know, I, I'm given a daily reprieve contingent on my actions to maintain a fit spiritual condition. And step 11 um, is those actions, that prayer and meditation. And someone was talking about the principles of the step, so it prompted me to, to look and see the, what the principle for step 11 is. And I found it's perseverance. And the definition for perseverance is persisting in a state, enterprise, or undertaking in spite of counter-influences, opposition, or discouragement. And isn't that what happens in life sometimes that I met, you know, with discouragement, opposition, and counter-influences? But to persevere and persist in this state, in the state of God consciousness that has just now been opened up to me by working these previous steps. So a daily practice of Step 11 is what takes me further. And the single most important way for me to improve my conscious contact with God is to pray and to meditate. And... You know, my practice of a daily spiritual discipline with prayer and meditation has evolved for me. You know, this, this is an individual journey. There is no right or wrong way, but it's an individual journey. I'm led by a power greater than myself with suggestions from the big book. And prayer is my conversation with God, and meditation is the part where I'm, I'm quiet and I listen for God's response. And in the beginning, I wasn't so good at listening um, I was really good at um, telling God what I wanted, making demands. I was really good with that, um, but um, not so good about um, letting that self-will die, letting those demands go down. So in the beginning, I started with reading 12-step meditation books, and then I would take time for quiet reflection on what that daily message was saying to me. I would sometimes add journaling about how the reading resonated for me. And when I finished Step 12, I started using a notebook with the questions from page 86 in the big book. And I made a commitment. I said I was going to write in that book every night. And I did that for a while. But then I slowly started to make this nightly re review, as it's called, a mental exercise. And so I wasn't putting pen to paper, and I wasn't as, as thorough as I did when I was writing it on paper. Um, I did continue that meditation practice of reading the 12-step book, um, meditation book, and then writing what came into my stream of consciousness, and and that was that was very helpful. And even though I did my reading and quiet time for reflection, I started feeling like there was something missing from my spiritual discipline. I was hearing more and more about meditation, meaning a period of just being still, just listening, not having a lot of thoughts, um, my own thoughts. Um, that we hear many times, you know, a sick mind can't heal a sick mind. So I started searching. So I my usual MO, 
modus operandi is to go to self-help books. So I started reading about meditation. Mind you, I wasn't doing meditation. I was reading about meditations. And um, recalling, you know, what would be a meditation that I could use? And I remember participating several times in guided meditations, but I still felt like I was being called to something different. So I kept asking God to be guided to what would bring me closer to him. And um, I I experienced um, going to a workshop where there was a different type of meditation. And this meditation was about being still and letting each of my thoughts just go by, not holding on to them, because it had been my thoughts, my thinking, my mind, um, which is the greater aspect of my disease, kind of made sense to me. My thoughts, um, no, I I need God consciousness. So my, my time in meditation is the quiet time where God can come in, a power greater than myself can heal my mind. But I needed to carve out some time for this to happen. It wasn't easy in the beginning because I was just I was judging my experience by how I felt. I would carve out those 20 minutes. I would sit. I seemed to be flooded with thoughts, and I I have to there they were. I, okay, let them go, let them go. Um, and later I was I was taught that it's not about the feeling that I'm getting after the meditation, but rather it's in the fruits that are seen as evidenced in my relationships with others, and to give it time. So I started noticing that. Indeed, as I practiced this meditation, and of course I wanted to do it perfectly, I didn't want any thoughts um, um, to be coming in. I, I was judging it, and I learned to just just accept whatever happened, just to uh, be patient. There was a thought, let it go. And then soon started noticing that as I practiced this, I was calmer in situations that would usually have caused me to be annoyed. I found myself being more compassionate and loving towards people who were brought across my path during that day. I I would find myself doing the opposite of what I wanted to do. And slowly I saw that God's will was replacing my own self-will, my own selfishness and my self-centeredness, which was the root of my problems. I was experiencing joy and happiness as I was able to know God's will for me, and God was supplying the power for to carry out his will in my life. I started taking everything to God, and I saw that he was the solution, or the power greater than myself was the solution. And when God was sought, I would get answers by getting intuitive thoughts that were usually very new to me. I started trusting the answers that came after a period of meditation, and I would follow this guidance and trust and leave the outcome in God's hands. But it hasn't always been that way. In the beginning, I I had difficulty trusting that the answer was from my higher power. It it was new. It was different. It wouldn't be the way I'd do it. And um, I started questioning it. And um, that, that brought me some disturbance. So I, I shared my experience um, with my sponsor. I said, you know, I'm praying. I'm spending time in meditation. This seems to be the response from God. But, you know, um, I'm just not sure if that's the right answer. Um, I, I'm just not sure about that. And um, my sponsor helped me so much. And actually it was a turning point for me because she said to me, you know, Michelle, you know, it doesn't get any better than that. You know, this is what, you know, this program is about. If you're telling me that you're praying and meditating and you're making, you know, that you're, you're receiving conscious contact from, from God and, and you're hearing, you know, that small, still voice inside you and, and there's an answer and you're, you're questioning it, um, you know, that's, that's like an insult to God. And I, I hadn't thought of it that way before. But there it was. There was my ego coming up. Um, I was being given this beautiful gift of God consciousness and here was my ego wanting to come up, not wanting to die, um, wanting to still run the show. And um, after that time, and, and my sponsor shared with me what 
what she was perceiving. You know, if it's really true, Michelle, that this is what you're doing, that you're surrendering and you're giving your mind over to God and you're, you're getting that guide consciousness, um, you know, it doesn't get any better than that. And she showed me what a beautiful gift that this program was giving me, that these steps were giving me. And, you know, I myself, you know, my ego was questioning it. And, and today I see that there is no greater gift than this, to have that guide consciousness. And here I was questioning infinite God with my finite mind. And again, you know, this step and, and this meditation and prayers and, and seeing my ego come up and want to argue with infinite God, you know, was a very humbling experience for me and, and very much a turning point. It was then that I, I learned to start being obedient to the guidance that I received and, and giving the outcome to God and trusting. And um, a recent example of experiencing God's consciousness happened when, you know, this summer I, I, <clears throat> my sister lives in Florida, and I really wanted to see her. And so I was trying to manipulate and think of a way I could get to Florida, maybe if I could go to a conference or a workshop, and then, you know, work could pay for it, and then it wouldn't cost so much, and my husband would agree to it. I hadn't even discussed with my sister that I wanted to come visit her or even knew if she, you know, was open to having company. Um, so off I went on my little ego trip. And I started looking for hotels and airline costs, and pretty soon I, I finally um, paused, and I asked God for guidance. And I got the answer, and I heard God say, no, this is not the time to go to Florida. So I gave up the idea of going to Florida, and like I said, I hadn't even talked to my sister about it or my husband. I was off on my own ego, uh, making my own demands, trying to make life fit the way I wanted it to fit, but I just had this strong yearning to, to be with my sister. And it was, it was a few weeks later that our favorite uncle passed away in the first week of July. And I was contacting my siblings, and my sister from Florida said she knew it was the right thing to do was to come to St. Louis for the funeral. And, you know, God is so good. Um, my sister's visit coincided with the maximum time that I had days off from my work. So we got to spend almost a week together. And then when it was time for her to fly home, she read her itinerary wrong, and she was not to fly out that day, but she had two more days, and I had those two days off. And I was so grateful to my higher power um, that, first of all, that I was obedient um, in hearing, you know, his, his, that still small voice, stop, stop, this is not the right time. You know, you're not in charge. Turn it over to me. And my sister and I had just the most wonderful visit. She's in a 12-step program and um, we could share, but I, I've learned I'm not her sponsor, and I don't try to give her advice, even though I'm her big sister. I've tried that before. That's one of my character defects. I could just love her as a sister, and we had such a wonderful time. And when she got home, she told me that she felt that I had helped her to once again feel God's love in her heart. Um, but because of the prayer and meditation I continue to do each day, I knew all the credit went to God that it was God and not me, and I gently shared that with her, and she said, oh, yeah, that's right. But, you know, I, I can be open. You know, once that channel is open and God can come through me and I can be an expression of his love, I can be used, if I'm willing, as an instrument in God's masterful hands because for of myself I am nothing but the Father doeth the works. And today my spiritual journey has led me to a, a, a new addition. I have a daily commitment now of doing a nightly review, as suggested on page 86 in the big book. I could never have imagined how much joy and love this simple process has brought into my life. You know, I was doing it in a notebook form, and, um, you know, I quit doing that. I wasn't very faithful to it. But 
um, you know, when a, a recovered compulsive overeater on a Vision for You called me and said, you know, what I consider um, doing a nightly review with her, I hesitated at first, and I'm so grateful that she said, don't give me an answer right now, pray about it and get back to me, because I was thinking of all kinds of reasons why I wouldn't have time to do it, and I did pause, and it was just after a short time of asking God for guidance that I intuitively know, knew that I was receiving a blessing in my life by being asked to share the Step 11 nightly review, and I'm so grateful today that I chose to receive this blessing. Um, so today we start our, you know, when we do it on a daily basis, we start our Step 11 nightly review with a prayer, and we end it with a prayer. We share our day, acknowledging our shortcomings, the things that we did well and the things that we could have done better. And through this process, we gain a personal history and we see our patterns. At the end, we ask God to please show us how to correct the errors that we have just outlined. And God then guides and show us the corrective measures that we need to take in the next 24 hours. The AA 12 and 12 states that, you know, there's a direct linkage among self-examination, meditation, and prayer. It says, you know, each one by itself is a benefit, but taken together, they form an unending circle. And that has been my experience, because when I do my nightly review um, or self-examination, I see my shortcomings, and I immediately see my need for God's help. And there I am seeking God's help through prayer and meditation. And so it becomes an, an unending circle. And this nightly review has brought me much closer to God. I just, um, I, I just couldn't even imagine how it brought me so much closer to God. And then I remembered reading in a 12-step meditation book, it stated that when I self-disclose to others or share my true self with others, that I am getting closer to God. And, and that, that is the purpose of this 11th step, is for me to, to get closer to God. I need that power in my life in order to live I, I am powerless. I, I remember that on a daily basis and each day, you know, a contingent on my spiritual condition for this 24 hours, you know, I connect with my higher power and that power is there that, that helps me to, to know and follow his will. For me, just for this 24 hours, I need that power source each day. Each day I'm reborn. Each day I get a new beginning and a chance to do God's will for me. And I seek his will for me through prayer and meditation. And I trust that he will provide for me his power to carry out his will. I do my little part, and I leave the outcome in his loving hands. You know, my spiritual growth is with God as I understand him, and it is with him that I find my true inner self. And I just want to close by saying that, you know, what I am learning today um, through perseverance and continuing the spiritual discipline on a daily basis, I'm learning that every encounter with another person is an opportunity for prayer and for acknowledging God's presence within me. Thanks for allowing me to share. I pass. Thank you. Step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Welcome, Esther. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Esther, and I'm a recovered compulsive reader from Canada. When I sat down to collect my thoughts for today's share, I noticed something that I hadn't noticed before in Step 12. Step 12 reads, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive readers and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So this, is really, this step is really a two-part step. I've been given two instructions here. One is to carry the message, and two is to practice these principles in all my affairs. 
And in, in thinking about the impact of step 12 in my life, I wondered if somehow I would I would see the connection between the two instructions of step 12. So I'd like to share those thoughts with you this morning. I came into the program of recovery about six years ago, and for the first three years I had some really nice long periods of abstinence, and I managed to lose all 120 of my excess weight, 120 pounds. But when the excitement of the weight loss wore off and I began to feel hungry again, I realized that all I really had was some new, you know, feel-good ideas, slogans, and tools, but there had been no real discarding of old emotions, ideas, and attitudes that the big book talks about, no real psychic change. And so I ran, not walked, to find a sponsor to teach me the steps as they are outlined in the big book. And in the summer of 2010, I did just that with a recovered sponsor. When I completed Step 9 and established a daily 10th and 11th step practice, it was time for me to move on to Step 12. Why did I begin to carry the message? By taking others to the steps? Really because my sponsor told me to do it. And also I, I had learned in the big book that nothing, what does the big book teach us? That nothing will ensure immunity from compulsive overeating as intensive work with other compulsive overeaters. So that was enough for me. If that's what I have to do to immune, count me in. I'll, I'll do my double dose. And so whatever I was taught or whatever I learned from other reco- recovered compulsive overeaters, I gave to sponsees and to others. Instead of paying back the gratitude I felt to those who had come before me, I was paying it forward. So from sponsorship, I learned some interesting things. I learned that I can't control others' destiny. I, can't, I learned I can't con- uh, do their spiritual work for them. I learned that I cannot relieve them necessarily of their pain or anything like that. I learned that there were many things that I had to accept about others, myself, and about life. I constantly, I was constantly learning to do my small, albeit significant part, only my part. I learned to help others only to be a conduit for God's will and not to get anything in return, not prestige, not feathers in my cap, or even the personal satisfaction of seeing someone succeed. This was all about seeing myself as someone who was here to serve my higher power and my fellows. And lo and behold, what I was learning to do in my relationship with my fellow compulsive overeaters, I began to do with all the people in my life, from family to coworkers to neighbors to store clerks. What I learned when I carried the message helped me to practice those principles in all my affairs. Now, I knew from what I read in the big book that the root of my problems with self-centeredness and that I was now to live a God-centered life. I knew that I would humbly pray to know God's will for me and then humbly do my small part. I never imagined, though, what a profound and deep impact this way of living was to have on my life. When I humbly tried to carry this message to others, and of course my compass is pointing to true north, and for me that's towards my higher power, an interesting thing happened to me. I became less concerned with myself. Just like the big book says, on page 62, it tells us we become less interested in ourselves. On page 84, it says, among other things, self-pity will disappear, self-seeking will slip away. Again, I knew this all because I had studied the big book. But what I didn't realize is how easy, serene, simple, and beautiful life could be as I moved away from self. I was taught that being of service to others would be the antidote to self-centeredness, and that I needed to be God-centered to maintain a neutral attitude towards food. What I didn't realize was how good that would feel and how that transformation would free up my mind of so much of the clutter and the monkey chatter. 
you know what kind of clutter my mind was busy with for the decades before I came into the program of recovery? It was busy with me, thinking about me all the time, my feelings. Am I happy? Am I being self-actualized? Am I speaking my truth? You know, I never even knew what that means anyways, to speak your truth. I was taking my emotional temperature every hour. Do I know myself? Do I really love myself? Maybe I should stand in front of the mirror every day and affirm my self-love. That ought to do it. I had loads of friends. I used to spend hours on the telephone trying to understand myself, sort out my feelings, and on and on and on. Today, I go back to my friends and say, how did you stand listening to me for, for so long and so often? How do you stand listening to that all the time? I was always obsessed with my needs. How do I balance self-care with giving? Oh, when am I going to get to schedule some me time? And, of course, the crown of all this you know, monkey chatter was my self-esteem. And I say this in a low and solemn voice because since I was a teenager, I have been obsessed, and I think the rest of the world too, I've been obsessed with my self-esteem. What is it? How do I get it? How do I keep it? And, and of course, whose fault is it that I don't have enough of it? All of this, all of this was just wiped off the map when I began to live life on a service plane. I don't need to buy any more of those self-help books. I don't need to read anything else to help me understand myself. I'm done with all that. My experience was showing me that when I was living and giving from a God-centered basis, then all that stuff that I was just talking about, that I would mentioned above, all that would take care of itself. I would naturally be able to balance my obligations Uh, my service to others, and properly attend to my needs. I will have a humble but accurate view of my abilities and my inclinations and so on. Of course, this is if I'm tuned into God's will, and that's a process I work on every day. And so it's not the Esther show anymore, where I'm all tired out and my head is spinning round and round in circles. When I try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all my affairs, it becomes the God show. This is what step 12 has done for me. This was a gift beyond all expectations. I did not even think such a thing was possible. I did not even realize that service would release me from the prison of self. And that has brought me serenity, deep joy, inner meaning, and a true excitement for living. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. And thank you to everyone this morning. Thank you to all our speakers this morning. Christy, Rick, Eddie, Janice, Marsha, Victoria, Katie, Joette, Joe, Katie, Michelle, and Esther. Twelve Voices. Their words and stories of transformation all coming together and creating the music of hope and possibility. The music of hope and possibility all as a result of the clear-cut directions, these 12 simple steps written in the big book, the program of recovery. I will now close with a reading from page 164, a vision for you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. 
see to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.